This is a portion of scripture that uh, I think is familiar to everybody that reads their Bible. Um, but I, I want to just take notice right in verse 5, because today we're going back to, I want to go back to the subject uh, we've been on throughout the year on courtship, on marriage, on that kind of thing. And we're going to go back through the season of, um, as, we, as Brother Steve Brissant was here, talked about the seasons of courtship, and I want to go back to the season of before you're in courtship and just right, seeking the right one. And I want to title tonight, Finding the Right One. So after tonight, you'll all be able to go out and find the right one, right? Well, maybe it'll help you, but we'll just start here. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, as we're just gathered here tonight, Lord, in this place, Lord, that we keep holy in reverence, Lord Jesus, Father, that you would feel welcome here, Lord, and be able to come into our midst, Lord, and just a place we can let off the pressure, Lord, and forget about the cares of the day and life and what's going on tomorrow and next week and the exams coming up and all kinds of things that weigh on our hearts and assignments due and work decisions and home decisions. But Lord Jesus, right now, just to put that all aside, say, Lord, would you come and speak to me tonight, Lord? Father, we desire, Lord, instruction. We desire, Lord, that you would give us uh, a grace in your sight, Lord, that, Father, you could encourage us, and, Lord, that you'd fill us again with your Holy Ghost, Lord. For, Father, more than anything, we need revelation, Lord Jesus. We need you to come in and give us, Father, what we have need of. And I pray, Lord, as you've seen this meeting before the foundation of the world, Lord, Father, you don't just see the main meetings, Lord. You appoint our footsteps. You see us here, and this tonight is a main meeting with Jesus. Father, that we're here as young people, knowing, Lord, we're your young people. So we commit ourselves to you. We ask that you just bless it now as we give this time, Lord, and pray that you would come and speak to us as we quiet our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 May the Lord is blessing to the word. You may have your seats. That I will say will soon be comfortable seats. Lord willing. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to just start, I'll, I'll try and keep it slower today and then just maybe teach a little bit and, and help us through this. So I hope it's a, it's a blessing to you as this thought has been on my heart for well over a month now. And it's, uh, it's something that I think everybody asks themselves. How do I find the right one? I want, everyone wants to get married or at some point have a relationship and, and be able to uh, move into a deeper walk in life and to be able to have that kind of relationship with uh, a man desires that with a woman, a woman desires that with a man. But, you know, as, as a young child, uh, girls will fantasize about it. Boys don't want anything to do with girls. And then girls, they play marriage. I have a four-year-old daughter, and what does she play? We're going to get married, and we're going to have church, and we're going to house, and I'm mommy, and you're daddy, and they fantasize about it. And that's normal for a female to be that way. And a male looks at it and says, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to get married. I got a son that says, I'm never going to get married, daddy. And I'm like, I'll hold you to that. So sounds good. But I know that's not exactly the way it's always going to stay. 
But as we grow on in life and we get older in life, things begin to change where men all of a sudden begin to look for companionship. They begin to look for somebody to, to share their life with and to build their life around in order to have and to love and to, to hold and all of these things. And a woman begins to look for somebody that whether she wants to admit it or not, quite often if she has a good father, she starts looking for someone like daddy. Because she wants good man, and that's the good man in her life. That's always been there, loved her, cared for her, and now she's looking for someone to, to love and care for her um, in that kind of a way and in, in, in a deeper relationship than, than what she can ever have with her dad. But I want to just take this now as, as we talked about this in, 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 for in Ephesians chapter 5 talks about uh, marriage. And, and Paul would say, I speak of a greater mystery, speaking of Christ and his bride. And, and we'll, we'll maybe end there tonight in, in, in a little bit about Christ and his bride. But I want to notice that as he's talking about this, and, and in, as you look at the chapters in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, if you look at these letters that are written, Paul wrote a letter to somebody. And he didn't write it and say, chapter 1 to the Ephesians. And now chapter 2 to the Ephesians. And no, we split that up. Men, old sages that looked at the Bible and made it a more comfortable way to read, they split it into chapters so that way it's easy for us to comprehend it, to read it, to memorize it, to navigate it, that sort of thing. But it was originally written as, here's the letter to the Ephesians. It was all one letter. So we happen to put a number six there to say we're splitting up marriage and now going into children when really Paul was writing a fluid thought. When he's talking about marriage, and he's talking about husbands love your wives, and then what happens right after marriage usually, and I'll say it this way, my dad said it this way to me and many other ones, he said, if you don't want children, don't get married. Because that's generally what happens when you get married. Children come. So Paul's thinking about it in a fluid thought. He's saying when, when these kind of things happen and you get married and you have this kind of relationship, children will come and it will happen. But now how does a child act towards his parents? And he says, he goes directly to the commandments where he says, it's the first commandment with promise. There's many commandments. All the commandments have penalties. But this is the first one now with promise where he says, if you do this, your days will be long upon the earth. And the, and then the, and the commandment is to honor thy father. And the first he starts out with children, obey your parents in the Lord. Not just obey your parents blindly. Obey them in the Lord. Because there is, there's children, there's, there's parents today, and I thank God your parents aren't like this, but there is parents today that lead their children in the ways of sin, that lead them in the wrong way. But, but he says there's parents, if, if your parents' desire is to get you to God, he says obey your children, children obey your parents in the Lord. I'm going to get my words mixed up here. But as we're, as we're getting started in this, there's, 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 a, there's always something that, that, that Paul begins to point. He, he looks at it and says, in every relationship, you want to see God in it. Amen. You don't want to just see it, just, just a husband and wife. You want to see God in the midst of that relationship. You don't want to see just a child and a parent. You want to see God in that relationship and God honor because God instructs in the word of God. He instructs parents to says, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not in the nurture and admonition of your best guess and idea, but of the Lord. So there's this instruction to parents, and then it says, children, obey your parents in that. Their, their chastisement and their correction is for your good, for your benefit, to try and get you to a place where you can receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But then it goes further and says, honor thy father and mother. So he, he splits this up in a, in a certain way, and I want you to catch this right now, that he splits up obedience and honor. 
Obedience is one thing, honor is another thing. And as a young child, obedience and honor are so close to being the very same thing because when you're just a young child, obeying your parents is honoring your parents. To obey what they say, you're honoring them by doing what they've asked you to do. If they tell you, don't go play at little Johnny's house, and you say, yes, mom, and yes, dad, and you don't go, you're honoring what they're saying and going and doing that. However, uh, that, that's not, that's not that, that, that as you grow older, obedience and honor gets further and further apart. But, it, but they still go, they run parallel, and they're sisters in the same way here, especially when dealing with parents, because to obey your parents is an aspect of honor, but there's a deeper way of honoring, which isn't just to honor what they say, but now it's to bring honor to. Understand that. Obedience isn't bringing honor to, it's honoring them. But to honor somebody is to bring honor to them or bring honor to their name and to their family. And you could look at it in, in, in tradition and you could go back at all kinds of different cultures and how honor, bringing honor to the family was very, very important. But there's in a, in a Christian home, because that's what we're dealing with tonight, we're not interested in looking at culture and, and history. We're interested in looking at the Word of God and interested in looking at what a Christian home and desire ought to be. And I believe that every one of your parents would have a, has a desire since your birth to raise you right. To raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And their greatest desire in parenthood, if I could speak for all your parents, is to have you living for God. Amen. 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 You can go home and ask your parents that tonight. When you get home, why don't you ask them, what would be your greatest desire for me? And most of them, if not all of them, would say, it's to have you living sold out to God and to this end time gospel. To have you living your whole life for that. That's my greatest desire for you. Yeah, they desire a lot of other things for you. And I know that different parents have different desires and different values on different things. But their greatest desire is that you would raise up and serve the Lord. And I'll say it this way. That's the greatest honor that you could ever bring to your parents is to serve the Lord in all that you do. That would be to bring honor. How do you honor your father and mother? You serve God. And by that, you bring honor to them as well. There is a little honor you can give them. And, you know, if you have a great career and you, you have some prestige in that way, that, that brings some honor. But that doesn't bring anything compared to what their desire is, is for you to serve God. The most honor they'll ever feel is for you to fulfill that desire. Honor your father and mother. Amen. And another way that we, could, we want to speak tonight in a way of honoring the, the way I'm bringing this out and finding the right one in Ephesians chapter 6, to honor your father and mother would be to also, if you're going to serve God, you need to find a spouse that would also honor their father and mother. You need to find a spouse that would bring them honor, not one that they're looking at going, why do they like that person? What do they see in that person? But rather someone that they could say, okay, I can kind of see. Now, you say, Brother Andrew, now are we getting into, oh my, does mom and dad have to completely agree? You want their blessing, yes. However, what I'm saying is there needs to be something they can look at and see. I see where the one they're interested in is more interested in God than anything else. Because that's my desire for my child, be it my son or my daughter, is that they would serve the Lord. So is this individual going to bring them closer to God or pull them further away from God? If it's someone that's going to bring them closer to God, that brings honor to your parents. 
In looking at the unseen, now I'm going to just dive into this now that we've settled that'll be my foundation, but looking at the unseen, Brother Branham says, a few days ago I was listening to a program on the radio, coming to Sunday school, and he said it was a roundtable discussion with teenagers in Louisville, and he said, what, what was one of the most important things to them? Remember, this is teenagers all sitting around in a circle, they're getting, you know, they're at, at courtship age, I'll say. And they're on the radio speaking back and forth. What was important to them in marriage? And they say, one was the girls wanted to find a boy with curly hair. And, 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 the, and the boy wanted to find a girl with pretty blue or brown eyes. So this is what, back in 1958, what Brother Branham's listening to on the radio. What teenagers thought. Now, I don't think this is what their parents wanted for them. But what teenagers thought, what's important to me in marriage? You know, if, she ju- if he just had that nice, long, curly hair, I like that. And, you know, if, he, if she just had those blue eyes or brown eyes like a deer, and it just, oh, those, those eyes would just be so amazing. And if I just had something that I could just lose myself in. And, and, and that's what became important to them was such a natural attraction. But Brother Branham says, he says, listen, he says, but that isn't the greatest thing. The greatest thing is find your God. Your maker. And he says this, don't mix Mary. M-A-R-R-Y. Mary, don't marry a boy, or sorry, he says, marry a boy that believes just exactly like you do. Marry a boy that believes just exactly like you do. Marry a boy that believes just exactly like you do. I'll never understand when I see it any other way. When I see two homes that are raised two completely different ways around the message. One refuses to go to church, will only listen to tapes. The other one believes in the fivefold ministries, raised up in a church, and somehow they want to get together and get married. Every time I see that, I go, oh Lord, they're in for a surprise. When they, now it's not just how should we raise the little ones, it's how should we go to church. You see what I'm saying? Even right, don't marry someone that doesn't believe the way you believe. This is why we believe in courtship and not dating. To get to know someone to say, hey, what's the first thing we should be talking about? What did you dream about last night? No, that's not the first thing. What's your favorite food? No, that's not the first thing you should be talking about. The first thing is about the Lord. Were you in church last night? You remember what the preacher said last night? What were we talking about last night? Should we read the Bible together? Should we, should, we, should we pray together? Should we read the message together? We should have devotions together. And by that, you begin to create a bond and a connection. And by that, you can begin to see without creating an emotional tie. Okay, this is important. Without creating an emotional tie with a person... Because as soon as you start talking about natural things and you start to find similarities in your natural things, oh, we like the same restaurants, we like the same food, we like the same books, we like the same this, the same music, the same artists, the same everything. Oh, we're just meant for each other. Now all of a sudden you create all these emotional ties between each other and then you find out, oh, they don't believe the seven seals open. Okay, we better back up a little bit and start preaching to them without the emotional ties and understand we can get further than this. 
Because God has to come first. You have to look for God in a relationship and in a marriage first. He said, that's the greatest thing. Don't marry a boy or a girl that doesn't believe just exactly like you. For after all, God is the main important thing that we are in the earth to do is to serve him. Hallelujah. You know, when we're not dating any, or we're not courting anyone, sorry, I shouldn't use the word dating unless I get that confused with, with dating. But when we're not in a courtship or in a relationship with someone, it's like, hey, man, God's the most important thing. But when you're in a courtship with someone and you have all these emotional ties, as much as you believe that down in your heart, your mind is completely to that person. And it just, it just, it's natural. It, that, that's, that's our natural emotions. We, we think about those things. And I know there's only maybe one here that's in a courtship relationship. God bless you. I'm not preaching at anybody, but I just want you to know that we need to keep our focus straight at all times. That's why it's so important to have a minister to stand up and marry someone. The brother said, don't go to a justice of the peace. He says it in different ways. But don't have a justice of the peace marry you. Have a minister, have someone that's a godly man marry you. Why? Because that godly man is there to put the focus on God. The, the, the focus of this relationship and of this marriage and of this great wedding day that, that, that happens in, in and will inevitably happen in all of your lives, praise the Lord. But the focus in all of that isn't, oh, it's beautiful, and we've seen all the decorations, and they left some pulley system up here, and everything like that, and they, they got all these things going on, and it's amazing. You walk in, the flowers over, everything's everywhere, but that's not the point. The main focus is God, and if he's not honored in it, then, then it's not based in anything that's real. I, I had... Uh, somebody sent me a video one time of their marriage vows, and they got married by Justice of the Peace in Jamaica, and, and how they pronounced them uh, man and wife by all of the, the authority or power vested in them by the authority of Jamaica. And I'm like, that's as weak as the broth made out of the shadow of a chicken that starved to death. That's not a marriage based on very much. But one that's based on God, now you've got something that till death do we part. Amen. He says, if you do marry anything contrary to that, contrary to what? To marrying someone that believes exactly like you do. If you marry anything contrary to that, Brother Branham says this, you'll pay for it in the days that lays ahead of you. How will I pay for it? Welcome to argument 101. And 102 and 103, and it just goes on and on because it's not just the surface now, it's the very foundational beliefs of your life. Don't agree. And Brother Red read the scripture on Wednesday night. How can two walk together except they agree? He says, You must always remember by faith. Remember, this, he's saying this in the message, looking at the unseen. And he says, You must always remember by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. We look at the unseen. That's the important part of any relationship. It's the unseen part, looking in the heart of the individuals and seeing, is there a compatibility there? Then we'll go beyond that. Because anything else is changeable. Oh, really? Yeah. She's so beautiful today. Will she be tomorrow? He's so strong today. He's not going to be that strong when he's 65. Right. 
Now we have our, is this okay? All right, this is just instruction. Even if you said no, I'd continue on, just so you know. So, I mean, hey, that's for my own nerves and comfort to say that. But we have our criteria, don't we? Every young man, especially young man, but young women do the same thing, where we build in our minds a profile. We do marital profiling. Not racial profiling, but marital profiling. Where we think, this is the perfect one for me. This is my type. And we get that way. And we think those thoughts. Because we've had images put before us where we've seen something and that became imprinted in our minds where now we take a portion of that and then we'll, see some, we'll take a portion of that and we try and blend it all together. And I'll say it this way, especially young men that get a, a spirit of lust and get addicted to pornography, they will see things that run an emotion so fast and all of a sudden they want this and they want that and they want this and they want that and they build themselves this profile of this augmented, not even realistic woman. They think, this is going to be my wife one day. And it's just a demonic picture. It has nothing to do with reality. It's not at all right. And a sister can do the exact same thing. I remember, and this is now moving forward because I remember a couple years back, Brother Ed did a youth service at Brother at the Nunwilers residence and we did a little like a survey, everyone wrote down, you know, what they wanted in a husband and wife. You had some physical things and some spiritual things of what you wanted and some things. And I remember one sister, she put in there, she said, I, I really like, I like men with beards. Praise God, buddy. <laughs> but you know what? She ended up marrying a man that doesn't grow a beard. Because she realized that wasn't that important. When you find the right one, all of this profile that you've built up. Because all of that's doing when you have that built up in your mind of my type is redheads. Really? Why? Because I'm attracted physically to redheads. No, I'm just saying off the top of my head. I'm not physical. I'm not. My wife is blonde and I'm attracted to her. That's it. I'm not even attracted to blondes. I'm attracted to her. But it's... You could say that. My, my type is redheads, or my type is brunettes, or my type is blondes, or my type is this. Why? Uh, it's because what I find pretty. Okay, what if God's eternal mate for you is a brunette? But you've built it up in your head. No, I like this. And now she's saying, my type is 165 pounds of lean muscle. Not an ounce of fat in his body. And he's going to have a perfectly chiseled jaw, and he's going to be tall and dark and handsome, just to pick on the stereotype. And we could, we could look at it that way, and she puts that all in her mind. She said, this is my type. But God says, no, I've put together one for you that's got a 59% body fat ratio. He's a bit of a chubby one. And he's got all these things going on, and he's not the greatest to look at. But you know what? He's going to love you like nobody else. And you're going to have a relationship with him that that is not going to even matter or enter into your mind at all. But because we've put ourselves in such a stereotype. I'm getting somewhere here, so don't, don't worry. He's like, Andrew, are you way off the word? You know, I'm getting somewhere. But we put ourselves into such a, a place where we've suppressed what is an eternal mate. The Ram talks about an eternal mate, which we, we could take that. We, today we call it a soul mate. Where someone is, is, is a part of you. We know we could go right back to the beginning where what happened with Adam? Who was taken from his side? Woman. She wasn't called Eve until she became a mother. 
but because she was part of him. She was literally part of, of Adam. So God has that for every man. There's, there's someone that's part of you. Sisters, you're part of some man. But sometimes we want to put in our mind because of things we've seen and have affected us and have clouded our judgment to the point where we think, this is the one I came from. When God says, it's not at all the one you came from. And if you marry someone like that, there's going to be hardships and bumps and trials and up and down. And every marriage is going to be, there's going to be some bumps and some trials. But there, there's got to be something that goes beyond it because there's a way to find the right one. Yes. Yes. Brennan would talk about it and say, you know, he says in the message calling Jesus on the scene, he says, if you're, if you're the right kind of husband... There's no woman in the world that you love like your wife. But what if she's more prettier? No, if you're the right kind of husband, there's no woman in the world you love like your wife. Period. There might be other women, oh, he even says it, there might be other women that's more fairer. There might be women who'd be a prettier woman and so forth. But something, if you really love your wife, he says there's something in there that you don't even notice what she looks like. You love her. There's something about it, sisters, that you don't even notice what your man looks like. You love him. You say, oh, well, that's, that's something, Brother Andrew. That's talking about husbands and wives, and that's got to be built up over years, and that's, that's a relationship that gets built into that. Hold on. The very next statement says, and you young girls to your boyfriend. And boyfriend to your girlfriend. Huh. If you've met that person that you know you love and there's something in there, you know you love them. He doesn't say something about them, something in there that you know you love them. Something that goes beyond and so much deeper than the physical attributes. So I, I, I've been a long time friends with a couple. I won't say who they are. He, most of you probably don't even know them, but they, they grew up together for years. They were almost best of friends. Years and years. And they would play pranks on each other all the time. And they thought it was hilarious that people would tease them and say, you guys just need to get married. You guys, and they'd go, that's not my type. And they said that for years. I would never marry him. And, she, and he would say, I'd never marry her. She's not my type. I don't like that kind of look. And he'd say, no. She'd say, no, no, no. He's not. I'm looking for this other kind of man. You know what? They finally got married. And they're happily married. And they realized there was something on the, underneath all of that surface stuff. That was greater. That kept them together all those years as, as best of friends. And no one else could ever be in that relationship. And they realized, oh, we're made for each other. But he says, it's even for you young girls with your boyfriends. And you boyfriends with your girlfriends. You can have that something down deep inside somebody that you love. And Brother Brennan would say, and we'll get to the quote where he says, and you don't know why. But you love them. I want to take a moment and go over to Abraham and Sarah before we go to that quote. Because Abraham and Sarah, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, would write this and would say, even as Sarah obeyed, it's okay, Ethan, don't worry about it. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement, which we can spend a lot of time on afraid with amazement, but I'm, I'm not going to spend time on that. I want to spend time on Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
I want you to think about their relationship for a moment. You all know the story of Abraham and Sarah so well. So think about their relationship for a few minutes that they had. And, and she loved him so much, something down underneath, that she still reverenced him as Lord. This is a man that lied about her twice being his wife. You go home tonight and you ask your mom, what would you do if dad lied about you being his wife? Would you be very happy if he came to you tomorrow and said, you know what, we're going on a, on a little, we're going to go out. But I want you to tell everyone you're my sister. Your dad might get, might get slapped. <laughs> if your mom's not that kind of a woman, she might just go in her bedroom and cry. It wouldn't go over too good. But this happened twice in their relationship. Now you say, well, Brother Andrew, they, they were half brother, half sister, so there was kind of some, it was kind of okay. Yeah, no, but marriage overrides that a lot. If you ask Sarah, would you rather be called Abraham's wife or her si- his sister? I'm pretty sure she would say, I'd like to be his wife. <laughs> Are you with me? She did that. She suggested... She came to a place where they, Abraham was believing and promised in the promised son. And she said, you know what? Maybe it's not by me. It's by Hagar. No, it was her idea. But Abraham accepted it. <laughs> let me tell you something, young people. Young man, let me give you some advice for your marriage one day. If your wife suggests you something like that, don't agree. She says, well, maybe we should just do this. It's your place to stand up and say, no, I think that's wrong. And she'll respect you for it. But here Abraham went ahead and said, yeah, sure. And we know how that played out, don't we? Who was jealous? Sarah. Exactly. The person that suggested it became jealous of the person she suggested. But still, what the Bible records is she reverenced Abraham. There was something down underneath all of this emotional hurt. This is what's going on. Emotional hurt and scars. Sarah didn't walk away from this like, everything's fine. Praise God. My husband had a baby with my servant girl, and this is just the way we do things around here. No, it hurts. These are things that are happening that, that, that Sarah's being to realize, I don't like this. This is, this is hard for me. I can't live this way anymore. you got to get rid of Hagar. What's going on here? I can't be this way anymore. But still, she reverenced Abraham. She would not just send Hagar away. She went to her husband and said, you're still my Lord, and I'm still going to do exactly what you say because I love you. There's something down beneath all of this that goes beyond all the hurt and all the scars. And this is a bit of an extreme example. But in every marriage relationship, in every relationship, there's going to be hurt. There's going to be scars. There's going to be trials. There's going to be hard times. The question is, what are you going to do in those times? You've got to make sure you've got the right one that you know beyond all of those things. There's a love that reaches down and goes deeper than all of it. Amen. Now, we'll get to the quote. Where Brother, Brother Branham says, When a man finds a woman and marries her because she's just pretty, there'll be an end to that. We could probably all quote this quote off by heart. 
It has been talked about so many times. When a man finds a woman that he loves, oh my, when, the, when she marries her because she's just pretty, there'll be an end to that. What do you mean? What I mean is, one day she will not be pretty. And when a man finds a woman that he loves, but he don't know why, but he loves her. And she finds a man that she loves, no matter what he looks like, he loves her and she loves him. He says, that's an eternal mate in glory. Death or nothing else can ever separate them because they were from eternity. They stepped out in the space of time and will return back to eternity. Eternity has dropped down in a body called time, then goes right right back up into eternity again, and it cannot perish. He's talking about a marriage relationship here where he says there's those that were eternal mates. In other words, back in the beginning, think about this for a moment. This is a relationship that can never end. That right back in the beginning, you were one in the mind of God. Isn't that such a great promise, brothers? That there is somebody that God looked at you with and said, you're one. Sisters, there's somebody that God looked at you with and said, you're a part of him. In his mind, he didn't look at you as brother so-and-so and and sister so-and-so. He looked at you as one. But in that, because it was male and female, and, 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 and God said it was not good for man to be alone, so he had to bring that one down into two. And marriage, we know that marriage and a marriage vow, these two flesh shall be one. So it's a coming back together again. So now, if, if, if you look at it and take even a step further back, what does this mean? This means that God watched over this thought that now is expressed in time. So he looked after you, he watched over your dad and mom, their parents, their parents, their parents, and that's amazing. But he also looked after your spouse and their parents and their parents and their parents so that way one day you, you guys would come down and be born. I just take the example of my wife and I where I came out January 9th and she was expressed on March 1st of the exact same year. doesn't have to be the same year. That's not a doctrine. But, but coming together, now all of a sudden they come and our paths being born four and a half hours apart. My last name was four letters. Hers was too many to count. Walshlager. And all of these things and finally they all come back together where now we met at 12 years old. And right there, boom, it sparked with us. For me, it was love at first sight. For her, it took a bit to get used to me. But it was, it was that way. And, 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 and it just came at 12 years old. As soon as I said, I couldn't explain it. I can't explain to you this day. If you could wind back time and go back to ask 12-year-old me, why did you immediately love her and say to yourself, I'm going to marry that girl at 12 years old? God forbid my son ever gets there. But why did I do that? I would honestly have to tell you, I don't know. It just, something in me just went right to that. There was, there was no middle, it wasn't, oh, she's blonde. It wasn't, oh, she's pretty. And it was just that. I know other brothers, I, I could talk about, Brother Andrew Spencer shared his testimony with me where he seen, his dad showed him a picture of what is now his wife. And it was that, I can't remember how old he was, a little older than I was, a lot older than I was. But as soon as he seen that picture, he went, I'm going to marry her. And he married her. It wasn't even a physical attraction. I talked with him at length on it, and he says, there was nothing about physical attraction. Yeah, she's very pretty, and she's all these things to him. But he said, it was just something just clicked. And to some, that happens instantaneously, like myself. And I know others I could talk about. um, I don't want to talk about other people's testimonies, but Brother Ed and Sister Sandy, it wasn't immediate. It took a time of prayer. 
where all of a sudden they begin to understand all the, all the, the, the upper thoughts of this is my perfect someone begin to come together and realize there's an eternal connection because that's what happens there. Sometimes it takes a lot of time, but the more you've buried that down, that's why someone at maybe 12 years old, it happens just like that, but the older you get and you bury that down into all kinds of ideas of this is what I'm looking for and that's what I'm looking for and this is what I'm looking for. And when you're just looking, if you just walk into a room and you just see uh, somebody standing there and you just look at them and you've got this in your mind of this is what I'm looking for, you're not gonna see that in that person because you've got too much, you, you need to get to know them in order to see what you're thinking. You need to get to know them and to understand them. So you need to be able to have courtship. Amen. God watched over both of you. When you find someone you don't know why, this is how you know you've got the right one. My wife and I used to ask each other all the time, Brother Andrew, she'd ask me, Andrew, why do you love me? And say all kinds of things. Oh, you got this and that and this and that. But when it really come down to it, I don't know. I just do. And she'd have to come down to the same thing. I don't know. I just do. And, and it's not for lack of reasons that we like each other and that we have a filial love for each other. But when it really comes down to love, it comes down to there's an agape connection there. That goes so much deeper than that. So I'll say it this way, when you're looking for somebody and you've got this image in your mind and this persona and this, 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 this thing that's suppressing the real you and you, you begin to put that forward and you begin to look at that, if you can look at yourself honestly and say, I love this girl because of her personality, watch out. Personalities change, especially under stress. And you know what brings stress? Marriage and children. Imagine that. The very end goal of what you're hoping to have with this person could change what you like about them. And if all of a sudden you like her and you love her because she's pretty or you love him because he's got that car and he's, he's, he's got that job and he's well-to-do and he's got all these things and he's just got it going on for himself. Yeah. Until he makes one mistake. And the car's gone, and he's got debt, and now all of a sudden his, his insurance skyrockets, and you're going, oh my goodness, now we can't even make ends meet. Right. And now you're thinking, about, I mean, we got married, and it was all about this, and now I've got to get a job because he can't even make the bills, and all of a sudden things change. Yeah. And we don't even have to go to the fact that if the reason you love someone is they're just so pretty, we know that fails. And I think anyone that's got eyes to see looks at makeup and says, that don't make it prettier. God bless you, sisters that come and brothers. I look at sisters that struggle. My, my wife has for years, I'll just be honest, with acne, different things like that. A sister's desire is to be pretty. I know that. God bless you that you don't cover that up. I believe God looks on those things and loves it because that's a true stand. Because any woman out in the world will cover it with all kinds of things, but someone that says, I'm not willing to go down that road and scar my face with that kind of stuff. God bless your heart. That's not in my notes to say, but. All right, we'll go a little further. Take some examples here. Samson. 
Samson, turn with me to Judges chapter 13. You need to just use your Bibles. We're getting used to using our Bibles today, having sword drills and... Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. And there was a certain man of, of Zorah, of the family of of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto her, and said, Behold, said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, and thou shalt conceive, and bear a son. And therefore be, beware, I pray thee, and drink not, nor drink not wine or any strong thing, and eat, eat thou no unclean thing, because it was a uh, Nazarite vow. But now if we go over to chapter 14 for a minute, sorry, I meant to put 14. That's why that wasn't cluing in with me. But that was the birth of Samson there, where Samson was under because the Philistines were, the Israelites did evil. They were delivered in the hands of the Philistines for 40 years, but we know that was a generation. That was the judgment. But now God, there would come a time that God wanted to deliver them. And so what happened? He rose up. There was, Samson was born. And now we go into verse 14. And verse 14 says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. Oh, my Timnath is in Philistia. In Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And, she, and he came up and told his father and mother. Now let me read this differently. He came up and honored his father and mother and said, what do you think of her? But it doesn't say that. It says he told them. Listen up, mom and dad. We're going to have a wedding. You're going to bless it. You're going to pay for it. This is how we're going to do it. And I'm going to marry a worldly girl. That's tough. But read the next few verses. It says this. He came up and told his father and mother. He came in and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. <laughs> what an attitude. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman amongst the daughters of thy brethren and, the, and, and among all thy people that thou hast to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Oh my, but his father and mother knew not it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now, I want to say this, because this, the way this is written and the way it's written in the King James Version, it makes it look like uh, Samson's attitude was of the Lord. Samson's attitude was not of the Lord. And even him marrying this woman was not of the Lord. But what was going on was the Lord sought occasion against the Philistines. So what it's saying is that God was looking at saying, how will I bring to pass my word against the Philistines? And here come up this spirit called lust and said, I know a guy named Samson real well. Let me help you out. See, I don't like that story. but You remember Micaiah? Micaiah and, and Zechariah was the head priest. I believe his name was Zechariah or Zedekiah. One of the other. Zedekiah. And uh, 
And what happened? Zedekiah said, go up Ahab and drive out the, the inhabitants of Ramoth Gilead and it's yours and praise the Lord. Here's these big ram horns of iron. It'll all be great. And what happened? He said, well, isn't there one more? We know Jehoshaphat, godly king. He said, isn't there one more prophet? He says, there's one more. I got Micaiah. I don't like him very much. He goes and prays before God. He comes back and he says, yeah, go on up. And his buddy there, Zedekiah, slaps him across the face, real nice guy, and says, which way did the spirit of the Lord go up for me? And he says, it wasn't the spirit of the Lord. What? It was different. I saw a vision. And what happened in the vision? A lying spirit came up before God because God was looking at saying, how will I bring to pass the words of Elijah? It wasn't that he was wondering how it's going to happen, but God does these things to do what? Because he puts bits in trouble's mouth and he uses trouble for his own advantage to bring it about to pass his word because his word will not return unto him void. God is the master of all things and he is in control if we can just see that. But now as we look at this story where he says what happened, it was a lying spirit that went to God and then I'm going to bring to pass the word of God. So now we've got a lustful spirit coming to God because God was seeking occasion against the Philistines so the lustful spirits come and said, I know a guy. And he's able to really do some damage to the Philistines. Actually, I think he's your guy, Lord. His name's Samson. But I've been really acquainted with him because he's never overcome this spirit and has driven him to such a place where even though he was raised right under a Nazarite vow, he has no respect for his parents. So let me get a hold of him. So this lust spirit got down into, into Samson and started whispering in his ear. They got prettier women out in the world. Oh, let me show you some things. It's prettier over here. I get you a woman that, whoo, everyone's going to be jealous. She's just the best. She'll have the body that all the other guys will wish their wife had that body. Come on now. Don't get all spiritual on me now. You know this is true. You know this is the way young people think. Because guess what? I was a young person once too. And you get thinking that way and you get thinking, if she's just got to have this type of body. Brother Branham says it in Choosing of a Bride. Go listen to Choosing of a Bride. The first like 45 minutes of it, half the people are rolling on the floor laughing. Go listen to it. You know what happens to Choosing a Bride? For like the first 45 minutes, half of the 45 minutes, people are laughing and rolling on the floor. Then what happens by the end of it? People are on the floor weeping. Why? Because it comes to such a, such a place in the service, but God uses it in that way. So, but, but in this service, but the man doesn't talk about it, says you can't have all things. You might have a woman with a body, but she won't be pretty. You might have a woman that's pretty, but she's got no body. You might have, but you might have these things, but all of a sudden you look at it and you go, but she's not even a Christian. I'm talking to you openly and honestly right now because I want to get you to a place where you're looking at it saying, Lord, I really desire the right one. I don't want to go after one and just get lost in emotion and connected on emotion. I want to be connected on one thing, and that's on an eternal level that we talked about a few young people ago at Brother Tim and Sister Ruth Nunwai. I was talking about an agape love. Amen. But here it was God was using this. It was, it was, he was seeking an occasion, so it wasn't his will. It was not his perfect will to go out and marry a Philistine girl. But it was what was going to bring to pass his word. God used the fact that Samson had never overcome lust. And he never did. Because we go over to Judges chapter 16. Because in Judges 16, we know he got a hold of another woman. After all these things happened, and we know what happened. He sought revenge, and he ended up judging Israel for... Um, 
20 years. And now in verse 15, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and went in unto her. Brothers and sisters, make sure when you overcome a spirit, get in the presence of God. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Because here's what happened with Samson. He thought he overcome last 20 years he judged the people of Israel. 20 years he was a judge. He was in a position of power and authority over the children of Israel. But now 20 years later, the same spirit creeps right back in for his own destruction this time. Because now as it comes about, what happens? He went down there and he saw a harlot. This wasn't just a pretty young lady now. This was a harlot. And as he told the Gazites, saying, Samson is coming hither, and they compassed him in and laid wait for him all night at the gate of the city that were quiet all night, saying in the morning, when it is day, we shall kill him. And Samson lay there till midnight and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with him. Oh, my. And he could justify himself all day long. I laid with a harlot, and now I can carry away the gates. God is with me. But it was wrong to begin with. To go against the word of God, sometimes we look at it because you get a worldly opinion of, well, the worldly opinion is God didn't strike me down right now, therefore, I mean, is it really that wrong? No, sir. God, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. There will be judgment. There will be things that you end up missing on. Brother Brown, you could, oh my, listen to um, Taking Sides with Jesus talking about a woman that's, that walked by the church one time and she said, if I ever get, if my cow ever got the religion of William Branham, I'd kill the cow. Within hours, she was dying. Calling out for William Branham to come pray for her. Jump down to verse 15. Judges 16, verse 15. Says this and says, and she said unto him, she's, she's with this harlot again. He's made this relationship. And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee? In other words, what's going on? He got this relationship to such a place where he's telling her, A harlot, I love you. Whew. There'll be an end to that. And he says, she says, how can you say I love thee when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times and hast not told me therein wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass that as she pressed him daily with her words, they were in a daily relationship. In other words, he'd married this harlot. Whether you want to believe it or not, he'd entered into a either common law or married relationship with a harlot. And listen to this next point. He says, and she urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. Oh, what a happy home. Based on beauty and strength. This is what it was based on. She was beautiful and he was strong. He was the great Samson and she was the beautiful woman that every guy wanted. The harlot. And now they've got these two things all come together. What a happy home to such a point that his soul wanted him to die. Whew. He says, there'll be an end to that. You've got to find a woman, brothers. You've got to find a man, sisters, that you love and you don't know why. But there's something about them that you just love. He says, listen, you know, if, the house isn't, if the spouse isn't born again, they'll make a living hell for you. We know the, we know the quote very well from the paradox. Where Brother Mim says this. He says, he says that maybe may all right, all the outward motions. This is why we have courtship. Because you can see in church, in a group setting, you can see when they come and they got all the outward motions. Oh, they sit on the front row. 
or they sit on the second row, or they're helping out in, in, in sound, or they play an instrument, or, or, or they've done a sword drill, or sorry, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just throwing all kinds of things out there where this is what he's done, or that's what he's done, or that's what he's done. Oh, so that's all going through the motions. That doesn't mean they're born again. I pray they are, but that doesn't mean they are. Because they hold an office doesn't mean they're born. They need to have something like that. He says, you can go through all that, but until he is regenerated, born again, I'd advise that young man to never marry a woman. He'll make hell on earth for her until that gentle, sweet, forgiving spirit of Christ comes in. That's what courtship is all about, is to find out, do they have that gentle, sweet, forgiving Spirit of Christ, yes or no? If you want a list to say, this is my list of what the boxes I must check for him or her, let it have one thing on that box. Does she have that sweet, gentle, forgiving spirit of Christ? Check or good. That's it. Well, it gets quiet because it goes against all of our own thoughts of like, but he's got to look like this and he's got to have this much money in the bank and he's got to do this and she's got to look like that and she's got to be able to be a good cook and a good baker and a good this and a good that. I want all these things and those aren't bad desires. But on the great checklist of Lord, what, what does it take to have the right one? Are they born again? And do I love them? Here's your second box. All right, we're going we're gonna to add a second one. Do I love them? And I don't know why, but I love them. Check. We're getting somewhere now. Now we can enter into a deeper relationship. If I've got those two things going on, they're born again, and I love them beyond anything I can ever put my finger on. Now we're going somewhere. Now, we got a little bit more time. Are we doing okay? Does anyone need to stand up and stretch? Kick your leg out. Kick your leg out. We're good. All right. No one's jumping up and down. Either they're all asleep with their eyes open or... No, I'm kidding. You're with me. I can see it. It's good. How do we get there, Brother Andrew? You've laid it out. This is how we know we got the right one. How do I get there? Brother Branham gives us a real simple roadmap on how to get there. Something to look for. It's not exactly a roadmap as much as it's something to notice, a sign. He says, look for character. Now, that really is just as ambiguous as what we've ever started. Because now we say, well, look for character. Well, we could talk about all of the things that have become a little bit cliche to some of us. We say, well, character is a victory. Amen. Yes, it is. That's absolutely right. What does that mean? And then we can take it a step further and we can say, well, Brother Brown says, power without character, or power with character is fit to rule, but power without character is demonic. Okay, all right. Well, that takes us a little further into character, into what it's about, into what's going on with character. So then what is character? So this is, let me just say it this way. Character, excuse me, character has relation to power. And so this is now at any level, okay, when Brother Branham says power with character is fit to rule, it's at any level of power or authority or rulership. 
In other words, whether he's talking about a king or a president, or whether he's talking about a CEO of a company or a foreman on the job site, or whether he's talking about a father or a mother. All of these things are positions of power, of authority, of rulership over another individual, and all of them can be fulfilled without any character, and they become very demonic. If you've ever sat under a boss that has no character, there's nothing you want more than to get out of that company. Because they just treat you wrong and treat you wrong and treat you wrong, and and they think they're doing a great job. Patting themselves on the back, taking glory for all kinds of things, and it's, it's just not working out, and you're wondering why. But it's because there's no character behind it in order to make sure they know what they're doing. It becomes demonic. But, but it says power with character is fit to rule. So all of these things is, is, a, is, a, is a level. So even we can look at it as a, as a father and a mother to hold any of, these, any of these positions without character is demonic and can seriously damage those under your rulership. So in other words, to get married to somebody and become a father and mother and have no character, it becomes very damaging to the children. Because if you read the next verse that we didn't get to in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath. What kind of father is going to do that? One that doesn't have any character. What kind of a mother wouldn't be, a, wouldn't, wouldn't, as the Bible says, I, even a mother would forget her suckling child, but I never forget you. What kind of a mother would ever forget her suckling child? One without character. But right. yeah. talks about the little possum, right, that would come up there and how she would, it was because she was a mother. She had some God-like, Christ-like character that she wanted to live for those babies so those babies could live and do anything for them. So she hobbled her way past all kinds of uh, um, yards without fences to get to the one with the fence and walk up through that fence and come up to the place to get prayed for. And just the day before, there was a mother in, in Kentucky that had drowned her baby in the river. Yeah. Or in Indiana, Louisville. That had done that. And he says, this possum's a better mother than that woman ever is. What was she lacking? Character. Right. And it was incredibly damaging to the point of death of her child in that relationship, but with Christ-like character, these roles can be fulfilled in a godly and a beneficial way. And that character enables the person in power to make the right choices. Character enables the person in power to make the right choices. In other words, character is the ability to make the right choice. So in other words, what kind of a wife or what kind of a husband do you want, brother or sister? One that doesn't know how to make the right choice. So you're looking for some character. How am I looking for character, Brother Andrew? Well, it's quite simple. I didn't display very much of it when I was first courting my wife. We had to boom through a couple little bumps, and I, I had about, what did I have, about six or $7,000 in the bank, and I thought, you know what I need? I need a quad. I went and bought myself a brand new $14,000 Grizzly 700 with all the bells and whistles on it. There was no character in that at all. That was a horrible decision. You want to know how she felt? I'll tell you exactly how she felt. She felt when we came together, I didn't even tell her about it until I came back down here, and I, I said, oh, hey, look at this quad I bought. She felt that that was now my wife. That's how it made her feel. That, I, that was my girlfriend at the time, because she was my girlfriend, so that, that was more important to me than she was, because I just spent all of my savings, plus I took a loan out to get this thing that I ended up selling to marry her. Because, and I took a huge loss on it. I paid $14,000 for it. I sold it for about $9,000. 
Why? You say, that's horrible decision-making. Yeah, it was horrible decision-making of an 18-year-old. But was I didn't have any character at the time. I didn't didn't have any victory. I was just, hey, I'm going through a hard time in life. You know what I need? Some good time on the quad. My brother's having a good time on his quad. My other brother's having a good time on his quad. They're both married and have children. And you know what? They bought cheap quads, like under $1,000 quads. And I'm like, they're having a good time, but I want a better quad. So I'm going to get a better one, a bigger one, a stronger one, and I'm going to get out there and be better than them. So that's what I did. Thought it was a great idea. It wasn't a great idea. It was a severe lack of character. So what are you looking for? You're looking for these types of decisions. What kind of character are they displaying? What kind of character is she displaying? Is she showing up to work? Is she doing her job? Is she helping mom around the home? Is she doing all of these kinds of things? When you get together and you want to hang out together and you're getting to know each other on a courtship, is she always trying to sneak away with you in some back room? Or is she trying to say, you know what, let's enjoy this time with my family and I want you to get to know my parents and these and these kinds of things, and all, all of these sort of things, these are, these are levels of character that are brought out. I'm trying to just, just teach you very simple where the rubber meets the road tonight. I hope that's all right. Look for character. Christ-like character, this is where it comes to talking about the word amongst the two. Christ-like character is the living word in you, overcoming in every trial and diverse temptations. Amen. So when you get to talking to one another in courtship, do you talk about these things? You should talk about these things. Right. What kind of trials you've been through? What happened? Tell me about it. What'd you go through? How'd you overcome? Did you overcome? What happened? Did you listen to a service? And oh, Brother Branham said this about that. Oh, I never thought about that. And you begin to encourage each other in your trials in this way. And you begin to gain an understanding of where they're at, spiritually speaking. Now listen, that Christ-like character there it will not deny or go against the word of God. In other words, it will look for the word in the other one or character to be a reflection of itself. So listen, if the word of God is living in you, you're looking for the word of God in somebody else Amen. to make that connection. In other words, that's that Christ-like character in you looking for that Christ-like character in the other person to come together to make that connection. And that will be the attraction because the wife that a man chooses is a reflection of his own. Somebody help me out. Character. Exactly. It's a reflection of your character. It's a reflection of your choices. It's a reflection of the the, the type of, of spirit that is in you. All of these things play into your character. Character, the character to go against, oh my, let me just lay out some principles of character. The character to go against every thought of emotion and self-justification to stay right in line with the word. That's character. That's why I complimented you sisters who would go against the emotion of I just want to be pretty because the word says don't wear makeup. And so you won't do those things because you believe that the word of God is more important and more valuable than your own emotion or feelings. Bless the Lord. That's a character. He says, and then character is to say back to the devil, it is also written. That was that Christ-like character when he comes and says, oh, because character, 
to, to not justify emotion by pitting scripture against quote or quote against scripture or scripture against scripture or example against principle. So laying this here, I hope you're just staying with me, maybe writing some notes, but character, Christ-like character will not take an example in the Bible and pit it against a principle laid out in the word. Do you want a case in point? Character will not take Moses and Zipporah and say it's okay to have interracial marriage. Emotions will. Feelings will. We'll say, but Moses married an Ethiopian, therefore it's okay. Yeah, when he was in the permissive will of God, he did. Running away from his calling. But emotions will take that and say, see, it's okay. But character will look at that and say, but the word of God says. Because what was happening when Jesus was tempted by the devil, what was going on? He was trying to play on his emotion, his feelings, saying, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. It's completely within your power. The Bible says you can do it. Go ahead and do it. And he says, but it's also written. And he says, but you're way up here. I put you up in the high place. I'll just leave you up here, and you'll have to walk down starving, hungry. Just cast yourself off, and the angels will bear you up, lest you cast your friends home. He says, but it's also written. That was character. Oh, my, let me just get to a few more here. I don't want to keep you too much longer. because Jesus had to stand so many times against emotion and feelings to stand on what was right. We could say Jesus had a right to have a wife. He had a right to, as a man, as a a red-blooded male, standing there, he was all man and he was all God. He had a right to take somebody. He had Mary and Martha that were Lazarus' sisters. He had Mary Magdalene that would follow, follow his disciples, perhaps. He had different ones that he was in contact with, that he knew. Maybe they were very pretty women. However, he had a right to have them, but he said, I sanctify myself for thy sakes. Why? Because he was looking forward, saying, my bride is not earthly flesh. I have a right to have this, but this is not right for me. So he endured the loneliness of being single his entire life in order to not do that and not have those things. And I'll say the temptation of the three times that Satan tempted him in the desert, that was, that was not the sum of his temptation. Think about this for a minute. That was the blatant temptation. Where any one of us, okay, if, if Satan come to you in a, in a physical form or in, if you're laying there in bed and there's just thoughts coming at you that, you, that just feels off. And it's, it's almost a little bit random and it's directed to your situation. You kind of you know it's the devil. It's very, simp- it's very plain and you're going, no, that's not right. That's not right. And you begin to pray about it. But then the devil tried to tempt him other ways. How did he do? He brought Pharisees to him. Sadducees. Doing what? Bringing scripture to try and tempt him to do something that wasn't right. How many times did it say, and the Pharisees tempted him, and the Sadducees tempted him? What was the spirit that was in them? We know what it was, because Jesus pointed it out very plainly. He said, you're of your father, the devil. That's whose spirit you have. Well, the devil couldn't get him that way, so did the temptation end there? No. He used his friends. 
He even got right to Peter right after we read it in Matthew chapter 17. We won't read it for time's sake, but as he got down to Matthew chapter 17, or 16, sorry, where we find out that, that Peter had this great revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is heaven has revealed this to you. But now he comes right down just a few moments later and Peter took him and began to rebuke Jesus because he said that, that, that the time would come when he would be killed, but he'd be raised again on the third day. And Peter took him and rebuked him and saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Oh my, his buddy Peter that was with him and sticking up for him and always there for him stands there and rebukes him and says all these things. But now all of a sudden, what comes down? He says, get behind me, Satan. Satan used the disciples to tempt Jesus to break the word. Now temptation gets a little bit more, I'm not so sure. And maybe... I can, I can see it a little bit more, you know, I, that, oh, let me just say it this way. All of us have a punch coming. All of us have something that the Satan wants to get us, and we know our own weaknesses, okay? You know your weakness better than I know your weakness, and I know my weakness better than you know my weakness. And we keep that covered. We do, because the devil wants to pick on you right at your weakness and hit you right there and get you right there. That's what he wants to do. So we cover that up with just the best armor that we can. But you know, when you're really covered up with armor, you know, they say it's not the heavy sword blow that you fear when you've got good armor on. It's the little dagger that gets right in the crevice. That goes in the cracks. That's what hurts the most. So it's not Satan coming to you and you're not a Christian anymore. No, you've kept that covered. And Satan comes to you and you should watch this horrible video. Nope, I've kept that covered. But now he brings a friend in and tries to get in the crack. Say, surely it stopped there, Brother Andrew. No. The one whom Jesus loved rested upon his bosom. One day he was going by Samaria on his way to Jerusalem and they wouldn't receive him. And the one that he loved said to him, why don't you just call fire down from heaven and consume them? We know that you're God. Just let them have it. How dare they treat you like that? Your righteous indignation. Friends do that sometimes. When you share with them the deepest recess of your heart and so-and-so had told me this and this happened and friend would get up in your face and Brother Andrew, you ought to never let them talk to you like that. You just tell them straight, don't you know who you are? And sometimes you go, let me tell them. But that would be wrong. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. But my buddy told me that doesn't make it right. Because what did he say? What did Jesus say to them when, he, when they said, just call fire down from heaven, let them have it? Peter said to them, you know not of what spirit. He turned to them and rebuked them. Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. That's real character. Character is victory in the trial, 
not just going through the same trial over and over again. Trials and testing start out very obvious, like they did with Jesus and the devil coming and tempting him, but they get increasingly more subtle until Satan uses your friends and your loved ones to pull out your emotions and feelings to get you to make decisions against the word of God. But character will stand on what's right and on the word. I'm not saying that this individual will be perfect. That's not what I'm trying to say. Character knows how to repent. When character's wrong, it repents. Let me just, I'll close on this. See, that, that's, that's the real trial. When doing the wrong thing seems right. And it satisfies your emotions. And it feels right. But the word of God says it's wrong. Be ever so careful with that, especially when you're choosing the right one to marry. There's a lot of ones out there that it just feels right. It just looks right. But you got to ask yourself, why do I love them? And are they born again? The Brennan would say, I think we should, a man in his right mind that's planning his future, that he should choose a wife very carefully. Be careful what you're doing. And a woman choosing a husband or accepting the choice of a husband should be real careful in what she's doing. And especially in these days, he says a man should think and pray before he chooses a wife. I'll say it this way very personally to you. Sisters, that boy that just sweeps you off your feet, you'd better pray and think. He might meet your criteria of what you're looking for in a husband. And maybe there's just a couple points off, but you can justify it because the important part is met in your mind. But you'd better really pray and think before you do that. Is this the one that God has for me? Is this the one that I stepped out of eternity with and God had us meet together like this? So one day we can together step back into eternity together. Brother, you might think that girl meets all the qualities in your mental checklist, and that's okay, but you better pray and think about it. Is this the one that God has for me? Do I have to justify the lack of character by my attraction? Do I have to pit example against principle to justify my feelings for her? Because you're going to marry her for your entire life. Till death do us part. Choosing of a bride, he says, you know, sisters, many of us say the Lord called me to preach. Here's an example of, of, of what kind of mistakes people make. He says, Lord called me to preach. Brother Brandon says this, listen, Brother Brandon says, I'm not going to argue with you on that. But I'm going to tell you, the word says you not to do it. She shall not teach her you soap authority, but be in silence. 
Well, the woman said, the Lord told me to do it. And Brother Branham says, the prophet Lord says, I don't doubt that one bit. Did you hear my message the other night on Balaam? Balaam got the first straight cut decision of God. Don't do it. But he kept on fooling around till finally God told him to go do it. God might permit you to preach. I don't say he didn't. But it's not according to his original word and plan. For she is to be under obedience as also saith the law. It's true, therefore she's not supposed to do it. So what's he saying? He's laying out a principle, actually. This is in choosing of a bride. He's talking about this. He's laying out a principle here and saying, listen, you can ask and ask and ask and ask and ask, and God say, don't do it. Don't marry that one. Don't go forward. But because of your emotions and your feelings and your attraction, you keep going and going and going and going against the word of God, and it might even be something that you know they're not born again and you know that love isn't there but they're so beautiful, they're so this, they're so that, they meet all my criteria or maybe, you know what, maybe they are born again and maybe they are a real Christian but the second part isn't made or the third part which is, is it okay with the word of God? Is there a scripture against it? You know, I really love them and I really, you know, I really, um, uh, um, I really find that they meet all, all, the, all the scriptural criteria and they're born again, but yet I can't marry that one. Because, well, it's an interracial marriage. There you go. There's a, there's a blatant example. I can't marry, I can't marry interrace. Therefore, hey, they might be born again. I might have an attraction to them, but I'm sorry. The word of God forbids it. Run away. Don't do it. He says, but you can sit there and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray until God finally says, okay, go ahead. And you'll bear that your whole life. Hallelujah. We choose by sight, Brother Branham says. God chose by character. Let's stand to our feet. So much more we could go through and let's just bow our heads together. That I don't want to sound like I'm just hammering it and hammering it, but I really want to drive the point home tonight that all of you one day will find the right one. I really believe that. That you all stepped out of eternity, not just alone, but you stepped out with someone. And God's got that together and they might be sitting here tonight you might be looking to the left and right going, there ain't nobody here that I would ever marry. But God says, no, there is someone here that I have for you. We need to sometimes take our own thoughts aside and our own checklist and our own ideas that we have put up. And I'll just put a little safeguard on here for a moment and understand something. Brothers, if a sister says, I don't want to court you, leave her alone. Walk away. Sisters, if a brother says, I'm sorry, I'm not interested, walk away. Don't, don't push the point and say, well, I think God showed me. No, walk away. It's over. But there is, God does have someone for you that he's watched over in time. And it's important that he brings you together. 
It's important that you are doing what? Praying and thinking on these things. Not thinking on what she would look like or what size she would be or what color her eyes would be or hair would be, but thinking on what's a godly character. What kind of character do I want? What kind of a real godly sister would be my wife? I could say it this way. There was a man one time that put a dress in his closet that he had faith as his wife was going to be this certain size and he just bought that and bought that dress put in the closet. One day I'm going to marry this sister. Let me just take it a little more spiritual for you. Find yourself a scripture. Don't, don't, don't take it naturally. If you want to do that, you want to have faith in that way and you're looking for the right one, find yourself a scripture and say, Lord, may this be the kind of wife. I did that. I took Esther. There's a brother, Aaron McGarry, came and preached a service on Esther one time, and he preached about how Esther just desired and longed to be with the king. And I said, Lord, that's what I want. I want a wife that just wants to be with me, and I want that kind of relationship with you, God. I don't care what she's like and all these other things. I want someone that just wants to be with me. It's exactly the way it is. My wife just desires to be with me. And if we're ever apart for longer than a day, it's, it's, it's hard on her. She doesn't like that at all. She's, it's the feeling despondent and lethargic. She wants to be with me. And I I appreciate that. I love that because that's what I desired. That's what I wanted. Why? Because God gave me those things. He gave me that desire on my heart to say, this is what I want. And this is the kind of relationship I want with God. Is I just want to be with God. And I can't wait till the next time I get alone with him. Let's just bow our heads together and we'll just have a word of prayer. I want to pray together that God would just lead us and guide us. This, this, this relationship question, the marriage question, right where you're all at, it's the second most important decision you'll make in your life. First one is serving the Lord. After that, it's finding a spouse. Because you'll spend your life with them. And to find the wrong one, it'll be a hard time. A lot of trials, a lot of things, a lot of counseling, a lot of things going on. But to find the right one, there'll be hiccups, there'll be bumps, but there'll be that underlying toe that no matter how much hurt and how much scar and how much you've been through together, you just can't put your finger on it like Sarah and say, but I still love him. And he'd still look at her and say, no matter how much she's disappointed me and how much I thought she'd be this and be that and she wasn't, I still love her. And I'd never do anything to hurt her. Because I love her. I'm trying not to be this way. I'm trying to be, you want that kind of relationship. I desire that for all of you, that God would give you that kind of a husband or wife and give you that kind of a relationship with him as well, that you just would love him and put him first in everything and seek God in all of our relationships. Heavenly Father, Lord, it's not exactly how I had envisioned the service going tonight. Lord, I wasn't sure. No, I had way too much material for what we could get to and so much on my heart and just running through. But Lord, just some of the things I I watch and see and you know the burden on my heart, Lord, how I I love all these young people sitting here. Something that goes out, Lord, the Father, I just desire, Lord, that They'd find their eternal mate. 
whether it be when they're 19 or whether it be when they're 30 or whether it be when they're 35 or whatever it may be, Lord. Father, you know it's in your time. We ought not to get ahead of ourselves, Lord, but, Father, to seek you first, not run from our trials, Lord. Pray you'd help, Lord, each one that's here, Lord, especially the young sisters, Lord. Don't run from their trials. Don't run from the hardships, Lord. Help the brothers, Lord, not to run from the hardships in life and to shirk away from the duties and the responsibilities that come their way. But, Lord, help them to rise up as men and women of character. Lord, that would serve you and love you with all their heart, Lord. If, Father, you would be in them and living through them, Lord. If, Father, there'd be something in them that some real godly man or real godly sister would look at and say, I desire that for a husband or wife. And may they find that kind of a relationship, Lord. Father, I'm thankful for the one that I have, Lord. I thank you for my darling wife, Lord. That means the world to me, Lord. And I just, as I think upon these, I pray, Lord, you'd give them a relationship better than that, Lord. Father, I commit each one to you, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, and just saying it broken up, Lord, maybe too hard on them a little bit tonight, but I pray you'd be real, Lord Jesus, and they'd honor their father and mother in all that they do. Commit ourselves to you, and we love you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing that course together. Lead me, Lord, and I will follow. Lead me, lead me, Lord. I will follow. Lead me, Lord. I will go. You have called me. And I will answer